Hi, this is Christian Kuhn of Urban Village Church in Chicago. Welcome back to the podcast, everyone. And a shout out to those who may be listening for the first time via our new um, Urban Village app. Um, it's great to have you listen. And for those who didn't know, yes, we just launched it this week. So this is an even easier way for you to not only listen to the podcast that I record, but also listen to the other folks who are preaching at other locations at Urban Village. We all preach on the same topic, but certainly we have our own takes on it. So I encourage you to go to either the Android store or to the Apple store, uh, or iTunes, I should say, and um, and download the app so you can listen to all of our thoughts and reflections on different things, including this week, the Sabbath, as we reflect or conclude our sermon series called Unplug, about how we can celebrate the Sabbath and make it and integrate it into our faith lives. So today we're reading from the book of Leviticus. This is the 25th chapter, verses 1 through 10. So hear these words. The Lord spoke to Moses on Mount Sinai, saying, Speak to the people of Israel and say to them, When you enter the land that I am giving you, the land shall observe a Sabbath for the Lord. Six years you shall sow your field, and six years you shall prune your vineyard and gather in their yield. But in the seventh year there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land, a Sabbath for the Lord. You shall not sow your field or prune your vineyard. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest or gather the grapes of your unpruned vine. It shall be a year of complete rest for the land. You may eat what the land yields during its Sabbath, you, your male and female slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who live with you. For your livestock also, and for the wild animals in your land, all its yield shall be for food. You shall count off seven weeks of years, seven times seven years, so that the period of seven weeks of years gives forty-nine years. Then you shall not, sorry, then you shall have the trumpet sounded loud on the tenth day of the seventh month, on the day of atonement. You shall have the trumpet sounded throughout your land. And you shall hallow the fiftieth year, and you shall proclaim liberty throughout the land to all its inhabitants. It shall be a jubilee for you. You shall return, every one of you, to your property, and every one of you to your family. May God's blessing be on the reading of this word. So, one of the first things that we did when Trey Hall and I started Urban Village was go through a three-day church planning boot camp that was run by a church consultant and author named Jim Griffith. And it was perhaps one of, if not the most helpful things we did. We sometimes get questions like, how exactly do you start a church? Like, what do you do? And this three-day boot camp was exactly the thing that we needed to help us to kind of know, all right, this first week we do this. For the first month, we're doing this and so on. So it was a really helpful experience for us. Interestingly, though, in the boot camp, one of the very first things that Jim Griffith talked about was was this. When you start your plant, one of the very first things you do is take a vacation. And when he said that, I thought I misheard him because like, if you are starting something new, don't you want to just jump right into it? But I think he said this as a way to remind us of the toll that it takes to plant a church or really for any of us who are starting something. And it is easy for us to get so consumed by this project that you forget that you should also take time to spend with your loved ones, to spend with God, to spend in Sabbath. And so I loved and wrote that down. One of the first things you do is take a vacation. And that's always stuck with me to remind myself 
to make sure that I am not letting what I do for a living consume me at the expense of everything else. I thought about that as I thought about the conclusion of this series that I just mentioned about unplug and what do we do about the Sabbath and how do we um, engage it and celebrate it and and, uh, commemorate it. So the last couple of weeks, we've talked about the Sabbath and why we should take the Sabbath seriously. Last week, we talked about delighting as part of a Sabbath practice. And today, we want to talk about Sabbath, interestingly enough, Sabbath as resistance. So what do I mean by that? Well, I think it's important. I probably should have, I think I may have done this a little in the last couple of weeks, but to set things in context. When the Sabbath first came to the Israelites, so we read about the Sabbath as we talked about last week, very early, the very beginning of the scriptures in Genesis, and it talks about God taking the seventh day as rest. And so it comes up again, and the Ten Commandments, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, and again, to set the context for when that commandment was given to the Israelites. So a reminder that the Israelites had essentially been enslaved by Egypt, who was led by a man named Pharaoh. So And I'm getting some of these observations from a really, really great book. If you want a book about the Sabbath, it's not very long. And it's a really wonderful book about uh, Old Testament scholarship and the Sabbath and its place in the Old Testament. It's called A Sabbath as Resistance, Saying No to the Culture of Now by Walter Brueggemann. I really recommend it. It's less than 100 pages, so it won't take you very long to read. But it's a really, really helpful book on Sabbath. And if you're also wanting to learn a little bit more about the Old Testament, also a really good book for that, too. So some of these things coming from that book about what it was like to live in the world of Pharaoh, what it was like to live in the land of Egypt. So first, it's it's important to note that Pharaoh regarded himself as a god. So in a sense, a, a force of nature and a force of nature who had insatiable demands, always wanted more and more and more. And so the workforce produced all the wealth of the land, and it flowed upward to the powerful, to the power elite. So because of the Pharaoh's desire for more and more and more, he fostered an endlessly anxious presence because there was always a sense that there's never enough, there's never enough, there's never enough. And so then that created a scarcity mentality among the land and essentially reduced the peasants, reduced Israelites to state slaves. Because they wanted to continually use resources, because of the Pharaoh's demand, because of his sense that there is never enough, there was that sense, this is what the Israelites' context was. This is what they knew. A a land where the thought was scarcity, that there's never enough, therefore we must work harder and harder and harder. And so then that was their sense. And then when they were, when they went out of Egypt into a new land. Moses led them, know the story perhaps from the movies or from reading the scripture, through the Red Sea, and now they are a freed people. So now what? Now they need to figure out uh, how do we, kind of like what I mentioned earlier, like how do you start a church for the Israelites? How do you start a nation? How do you start and become a, a new group of people that is blessed by God? So this is where the Ten Commandments come in. And then other laws and systems later on in the Old Testament, too. So if you remember, again, from the Ten Commandments, it's the Fourth Commandment. It talks about keeping Sabbath, not just for you, but for others, too. And that's where we have today's passage from Leviticus. 
And this passage from Leviticus that I just read reminds us that Sabbath is not just a seventh day, as we read in the Ten Commandments from Exodus. It's not just a day, but also it is a year. This text from Leviticus tells us and talks about how that there is to be a Sabbath every seventh year. So the Lord says to Moses, six years, you sow your field, prune your vineyard, gather, and then in the seventh year, and here's the fourth verse, I think this is key, in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest, a Sabbath of complete rest for the land. And I think this passage, the Sabbath passage, and the one in Exodus that talks about how there is to be a Sabbath, not just for you, but for those who work for you too, all of this reminds us that the Sabbath is not just for us as individuals. I think sometimes we may think, this is great for me to talk about the Sabbath because I really need to unplug. I really need to relax. I'm stressed. This is going to be wonderful for me to kind of take care of myself. The Sabbath can do all of those things. That's great. But the text from Leviticus today, and again, when we reread the text from Exodus, it reminds us that the Sabbath isn't just about you and your relaxation. That's why sometimes when there's a lot of talk these days and articles about meditation and the benefits of meditation. And again, that's great. Meditation is great. Prayer can be meditation. And we may think to ourselves, this is a a wonderful way for me to get relaxed. And that's all good. But Sabbath touches on these things, how we can relax. But it's much bigger than that. Sabbath, in many ways, is a resistance to a lifestyle and a culture that treats things like they are commodities. So when you talked about the Pharaoh making those demands of all the people because of his insatiable demand for more and more and more, does that ring a bell at all for us in our society today? We may not have necessarily a named Pharaoh, but certainly there are forces at work that create in us a belief that we must produce and consume more and more and more. And by taking Sabbath and by paying attention that Sabbath isn't just for us, but it is for others too, that is resistance. That is a resistance to a lifestyle that says it's all about consumption. It's all about productivity. And that's something I've been saying every Sunday in this, or every sermon in this series. And the great thing about these passages today is, again, a reminder that it's not just about your own resistance. It's not about just your own ability to relax and get out of the rat race, but it is about others too. And I think there are two different audiences, two different essentially entities that we need to be thinking about when we realize that the Sabbath isn't just about us, just isn't just about us, but who else is it about? Well, again, verse 4 in this Leviticus passage reminds us and tells us, In the seventh year, in the seventh year, there shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land. Think about that for a moment. There shall be a Sabbath of complete rest for the land. There is a sense here of saying that the land needs rest. And then the text from Leviticus goes on to remind them of that. You shall not reap the aftergrowth of your harvest. All of these things, you shall not take anything to the land at all. Instead, if the land yields anything, this is 
for you and your slaves, your hired and your bound laborers who are with you. So the land needs a rest. So I just downloaded, we've been talking about iPhones a little bit throughout this sermon series too. We talked about the blessing of the iPhones that we did at Urban Village too. And in a sense, how our smartphones um, have become, we have, in a sense, we have become slaves to them almost too. And so I certainly am not immune to that, to the lures of the, of the phone. And so what I, sometimes what I do too is like, especially when I just downloaded the latest operating system on my iPhone and it seems like that my battery life is getting shorter and shorter. And so it's not uncommon for me to Google or to find articles about what can I do to save the, the life on my battery and all kinds of tricks of the trade that you can, you can do and turn certain things off. And, and it's interesting when I thought about that and the amount of time that I spend and trying to figure out how can I conserve, how can I conserve enough life in my smartphone battery and thinking about worrying about that or investigating that and then also thinking about have I given the same amount of time to Googling or to reflecting on making sure that the land, that the creation, that the earth has enough resources to I talked to uh, Melissa Bryce, who's a member of our church, and she is one of the people who's leading up our eco-justice team at our site. We have a core of folks who are really passionate about this issue. And in an email that she sent to our staff this week, and uh, as, in her reflection on this passage, she reminded us and, and said to us that, the, that we, that humanity is using the Earth's resources faster than the natural world can replenish them. So for example, about a she said about a third of the largest groundwater basins are being rapidly depleted. So of the 37 largest aquifers in the world, 21 are being depleted at unsustainable rates. And 13 are considered significantly distressed and a threat to regional water security and resilience. Now, sometimes when you talk about climate change, you talk about the environment, and these are all really important things for us to reflect on. I know sometimes I have to read a couple things and we we hear these statistics and we just let them wash over us. So just go over our heads. And yet here in Leviticus, it reminds us that the land needs a break to replenish its resources. And when we are in a society that doesn't think about hard enough about giving the land a break or doing what we can to care for it to make sure that its resources are replenished, then we fall into the feral mentality of thinking, how can we produce more and more and more without worrying or without thinking about the fact that we are taking so much out of this resources and not replenishing it, abusing it. And it, so this is something that we read about. It's, it's in our scriptures. How often are we worrying about the, the things that we are taking out of our own smartphones and electronic devices, and we're spending more time thinking about that than we are about the fact that the Lord told Moses and the Lord tells us that the land needs Sabbath. And so what are we as a site, what are you as individuals doing to make sure that that is the case? Are you spending more time, and this is something I'm preaching to myself too, am I spending as much time on that than I am worrying about the different resources of the things that I have on my body? the electronic devices. The Sabbath is not just about you. It's about first the land 
as we read in Leviticus. The second thing, and again, we go back to the text from Exodus, that the Sabbath is also for those on the margins. This is a quote from the Brueggemann book that I talked about earlier, saying this, the odd insistence of the God of Sinai, and this is where both the Ten Commandments came and today in our Leviticus passage, and it says, the insistence of the God of Sinai that Sabbath is for all is to counter anxious productivity with committed neighborliness. The latter practice does not produce much, but it creates an environment of security and respect and dignity that redefines the human project. Let me read that quote again. The odd insistence of the God of Sinai that Sabbath is for all is to counter anxious productivity with committed neighborliness. The latter practice does not produce so much, but it creates an environment of security and respect and dignity that redefines the human project. I'm having to go back to my Bible to remind myself too of the specific um, way that God talks to us in the Ten Commandments about uh, also how we are to pay attention to those on the margins and the Sabbath. So again, in Exodus 24, uh, it says this, to keep the Sabbath day, keep it holy, and then again, it says, you shall not do any work. You, your son or your daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock, alien resident in your town. So again, the Sabbath is laid out for us. It is not just about you, but it is about neighbor too, particularly neighbors on the margins. Now, this may not come as any huge radical thinking. If you, we think about as Christians, oh, we're supposed to love our neighbor. Well, of course, of course we do that. But we also, do we also think about, do we think about that our neighbor, particularly our, our marginalized neighbors, they need rest too. I was reading and reminded this week of an article I read a few years ago about St. John's United Methodist Church in Houston. Their pastor there, Rudy Rasmus, is a good colleague of mine, a ministry that they started. And it was chronicled in a newspaper in Houston. I want to read just the first few sentences of that article to give you a little sense about this ministry that they do at St. John's. And it says this, Dolores Scott, who's a member, Dolores Scott carefully rolled up the cuffs of Willie Wright's khaki pants and helped the 50-year-old man remove his socks and shoes. Wright sighed as she helped him place his feet in a warm bowl of warm, sudsy water. With a washcloth, Scott gently scrubbed his feet, paying careful attention to his toes. He closed his eyes, relaxed, and leaned back into the chair. Once Wright's feet were clean, 70-year-old Scott powdered, lotioned, and slipped them into a new pair of white socks. Wright smiled. So did Scott. And then Wright put on his new knit cap, picked up his bag, and headed back out into the street, his home. So this is something that happens every weekend at St. John United Methodist Church. Volunteers are there. And in a sense, this is a way for them to say, the homeless, our marginalized neighbors need Sabbath, need rest, need touch, need to know that someone cares for them. This ministry is a way of loving neighbor, but it is also saying to them, this, in a sense, is rest for you. Because being homeless is exhausting. 
being on your feet, as the article went later on, being on your feet is exhausting all day, every day. And here in this ministry, the folks at St. John's know and are saying this is a way for them to say, our marginalized neighbors need rest too. And this is a way that we are giving it to them. So often, I think we we don't think about that. We, we think about how we love our neighbor, but we also don't think about how is my marginalized neighbor also experiencing rest. This Sunday, we are talking about teacher blessings, <clears throat> or we're, we're doing church, teaching blessings at our school, at our church. And here in Chicago, there's a lot of conversation about a potential teacher strike in the next week. And I was talking with a friend of mine who does, who runs a nonprofit called Chicago Runs, and they work in under-resourced neighborhoods uh, in Chicago and helping schools with programs that help give children exercise. And we met this summer, and she talked about something that I never thought about, too. We've been talking a lot about um, violence, gun violence in our neighborhoods in the city, and she was talking about the teachers in these schools, particularly in these neighborhoods that are hardest hit by this, and the teachers who are feeling not just sadness, but also anxiety, feeling trauma because of the children in their classrooms who are killed, and then they are trying to think, how can they help other children deal with this, and then how do they think about it themselves? And in talking to my friend Alicia about these teachers and they don't have anywhere to go. And I kept thinking, what can we as a church, can we be a presence for them to say all the different anxieties that you have in your life, particularly when you're teaching in classrooms that are under-resourced, teaching in classrooms where there might be violence, teaching in classrooms that might be overcrowded, what can we as a church do to provide them rest? And I don't have necessarily an answer for that. We can, we're can we doing a blessing. We're giving little gifts for the teachers just to let them know they're loved and appreciated. That's something for this Sunday. But what more can we do to pay attention to our neighbors on the margins to make sure that they are experiencing rest too, that they are experiencing a break from forces that constantly say you must be more productive. You must raise test scores. You must make sure that these children are getting educated. There's all kinds of ways that churches and individuals can think about reflecting on the fact that the Sabbath isn't just about you. Yes, friends, please unplug, pray, get away from the rat race yourself. Please do this. We need You need this. We need you to take this time away. But also, as you take Sabbath, remember the commands from the Lord that the land needs rest, that the neighbor needs rest, and then reflect on how is God speaking to me? And maybe God is speaking to you on the Sabbath. How is God speaking to me so that I can make sure that others get rest too? How is God speaking to you in that question? Listen As you take time away and unplug, listen to what God might be saying, and then reflect on how you also can make sure others are getting that rest. We lift all this up to God and pray that God is answering our prayer in this way. Amen. Well, friends, thank you for listening. If you are just listening to this for the first time on our new Urban Village app, let me make another plug for that. Um, you can always reach out to me, Chris, at urbanvillagechurch.org or on Twitter. I'm at Christian Kuhn and always happy to engage with folks in those ways. 
and share this podcast and other podcasts at Urban Village too, so that others could hopefully can be uh, fed and nurtured by the reflections that we have on what God is saying to us. And so, uh, until next week, friends, we'll start a new sermon series. But again, I look forward to sharing that with you. But until then, may the peace of Christ be with you. And thou my true word